Hello, it's Matt here from the Shark Live Royal podcast. Uh, as you know, we've now reached the end of our Dance with Dragons coverage. So over the next few weeks, we're going to have a series of bonus podcasts called The Shark Cage, and these will contain spoilers. So this week, we're taking a brief look at the uh, six published preview chapters for The Winds of Winter. Next week, we'll be starting a short series on season six of Game of Thrones on TV and what it could mean for the rest of the books. Uh, we'll also discuss a couple of the big fan theories every week uh, as part of opening up Matt's bunker full of spoilers, which Dave's been so excited about. So um, if you want to come to the Winds of Winter when we do end up reading it completely spoiler-free, it might be worth skipping the next few weeks. Um, we'll always have a clear warning like this at the start of every spoiler podcast. Uh, but if you dare, join us as we enter the uncharted waters and open up the shark cage. And go go die. So we sent a letter over to Dawn saying, what up, I've arrived, I've got this Targaryen. And, um, <laughs> and I'm not sure that's the, that's the sort of word-for-word translation of it. He does get a massive pass as well, just because he's still alive and we quite like him, and he's, he <laughs> somehow isn't dead. Like, yeah, go on, Barristan, son, go on, yes. He's <laughs> like the sort of the hundred to one shot horse that's still going. Isn't it, it is. It's like what he's watching Leicester City win the league, isn't it? Why did you make your people lambs when the world is full of wolves? <laughs> <laughs> Hello, welcome back to the Shark Live Royal podcast. I'm Matt. I'm Dave, hello. Dave, we've finished Dance with Dragons. What are we going to do? The relief still sits with me. It's (laughs) glorious. It's (laughs) glorious. But just when you thought it was safe to go back in the water, (laughs) Shark Live Royal style... You've had that in for months, haven't you? You're just, you're just waiting for it to be ready. Mm. Um, we are going to stick with a little bit more Game of Thrones. So we've finished Dance with Dragons now, and obviously we are um, predominantly a podcast about the books. Um, but there are a series of chapters of Winds of Winter that have already been released and published. So we're going to have a look at those today. And then, because the series has now got the TV series has now actually gone beyond the books, we're going to do sort of a short mini series over the next few weeks, which looks at a combination of what's going on in the series as it relates to the books, and some of the best theories from Matt's bunker full of spoilers. Um, hey, yeah, you can't you can't just skip past that, Matt. I feel like we need some like swelling strings or some kind of some kind of triumphant music because I've been waiting for three years to go into Matt's bunker full of stories. <laughs> and, yeah. and if, if, if the stuff that I've heard if, if the rumours I've heard emanate from that ghostly portal or anything to go by it's mm. going to be fucking fantastic like <laughs> Varys is a mermaid you know yeah. like how, how are we going to top that yeah, so this is basically now we're, we're moving into over the next few weeks we're no longer actually in one of the books but we're sort of moved to the sort of after party, you know, bow tie undone, shirt untucked, a uh, few few late drinks going round, sort of discussion. <laughs> um, it it, we are, it it is sort of opening the door on a hell of a lot of sort of spoiler material now. So if you don't want to be sort of if you haven't watched much of the series yet and don't want to be spoiled, then you shouldn't really listen to this this next few episodes. Uh, equally, um, if you if you want to sort of come fresh to every little bit of Winds of Winter, it might be. You might be a little disappointed in hearing sort of some theories discussed, but I just thought I'd put that warning out there now. 
Um, That's very public spirited of you, Matt. It is, isn't it? But we, we will be moving on to other books as well um, after the next few weeks. So I uh, do keep subscribed, and we'll uh, we'll move into other uncharted territories as we go. But this is going to be um, a, a bit of a, a bit of a sort of leaning on you as well. If you could uh, send any suggested theories into us that you'd like us to talk about, I know there's plenty of them out there, um, or any thoughts you have on the direction the book's going now. Um, the email address is sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroilpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can guess us on Twitter at sharkliveroil. Right then. Yeah. Well. Well. Well, well, well. Just before we do get into these extra chapters, one final thing. I know it's, I'm going on a bit, but um, we do have a new um, podcast website now, which we've finally set up. And you sh- you've probably heard some of the messages we've been putting out about moving your feeds and stuff. You've obviously done that because you're getting this podcast. But um, <laughs> yeah, so if you want to check out the uh, actual website now, it's uh, sharkliveroil.co. Is that right, Dave? That's right, yeah. Yeah, so just sharkliveroil.co and you'll get to our podcast page. You can get all the podcasts there and they're all they're sort of ordered quite nicely as well so you can navigate yourself around a bit more easily than just scrolling through an iTunes feed. Do you want me to do the Do you want me to do the magic uh, tech support thing, which you um, you called me out for not doing terribly clearly last time on the uh, on the our last time on the old feed? Yeah, you, go for it. You, you you think I didn't hear it, Matt? But I went and I listened, and I was thinking, <laughs> oh, he's doing really well here. He's explaining how we need to change over, the, you know, repoint our feeds at everything and how to do it and that. And then mm. like a, like a bombshell at the end, it was all like. Dave, the voodoo wizard, reckons that you need to do some crazy shit. Anyway, never mind about any of that. <laughs> I read it out. Something to do with Bitly. It is. It, yeah, well, well done indeed. You yeah. may go to the top of the class. I've I, I built it up far too much. The it. Bitly master. The Bitly. <laughs> what, what even is that? What? I don't know. I don't know what Bitly is. So. <laughs> Explain that reference. Well, Bitly, Matt. Bitly is a way of uh, shrinking your. Um, uh, any internet address and so we're using that because um if you're using like the rss feed the subscription feed um to get our casts um that has now changed because we've changed where we're keeping all of the files because our old provider kept cutting us off basically um so we're now on a new provider and there's a new address but instead of give you that long address which is about six thousand characters long all you got to do is in your um podcast subscription software like podcast addict or uh, itunes whatever it is um just type in uh bit.ly bit.ly slash shark liver oil um and that's that's the magic internet address that will make sure that you're subscribed then and whenever you whenever you want to go back and check if we put out something new that's the address that it will check hmm yeah, I'm sure that will mean something to some people listening. <laughs> <laughs> I quite like how you're sacrificing the sort of technological high ground here. You're just you're fully playing the I don't know either girls sort of card as if as if our audience isn't full of extraordinarily techno capable women and men. And I think that's I think that's a crying shame, Matt. But you yeah. know, I've never felt I've never felt more like my dad than I have felt <laughs> during that discussion. Then. <laughs> ironically, I've never felt more like a sort of moody, moody offspring helping their parents check their email or get a printer to work on their laptop. So you know that works. Okay, so let's move on to uh, these extra chapters that have been released. Then, so there are six chapters we've come across that have been published. 
by George Martin, which you're going to be in Winds of Winter. Um, and then we know there are a few others knocking about sort of bits and pieces is read out at conventions and stuff, but we're not going to sort of delve into that. We're going to sort of draw the line at the, the six that have actually been sort of put out there. Um, so are you ready, Dave, to get into these? I, I, I'm ready. I am ready. This is so weird. It's sort of like doing a book before a book's even been published. Yeah. New yeah, I, 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 I think if this wasn't Game of Thrones, I think we would be perfectly content to wait. But the, pro- the problem is that with A Song of Ice and Fire, as we saw with the gap between A Feast of Crows and A Dance with Dragons, that could be more than half a decade. Mm, yeah. So at that point, I feel like it's kind of legit to mm. start looking for your workarounds. So we're going to have a run through these chapters. Um, it's not going to be the sort of depth that we normally do, because obviously we're going to return to them once Winds of Winter actually drops and we can actually read it for full. But um, quick introduction to them. So there's one about Theon. Uh, this is the first one we've come across. Uh, Theon is uh, looks like he's, he's sort of chained up in some tower somewhere um, by Stannis, because remember the last we heard, he was sort of delivered to Stannis. Uh, um, yeah, well, and the last we heard, Stannis was dead as well. So yeah. I find yeah. this confusing. Is this a is this a a rewind? Is this a chapter that he really should have put in at the end of a Dance with Dragons and forgot about, or is Stannis alive? Yeah, yeah. Well, so we see Stannis signing this loan uh, to uh, you know to to get some money from the uh, from the Iron Bank of Bravos, and he's sending that Justin Massey guy over there to sort of uh, to treat with them and and make sure they. The cash and the the armies come over. I think he's is he after the Golden Company. He says, yeah, or anybody. Basically, I mean, yeah. he does. He has he has a wish list. Yeah, sort of like how how talented he is at um at sort of knowing what he needs in a very kingly skill set. Yeah, but he does basically send this geezer across, just going Golden Company. If you can't get the Golden Company, uh, <laughs> the same number of cell swords. If you can't get the same number of cell swords, fuck you. Get the same number of cell swords. If yeah. you can't, um. Yeah. I you better come back with the same number of cell swords. He's just like the worst boss ever. Yeah. Gives him no options at all. It's basically you can get this or you're <laughs> fucked. Yeah, find anyone who both likes money and can swing a sword. We'll have them. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not I picky. Mean, <laughs> yeah, in, in, and it's fair enough actually in this particular story universe, isn't it, to assume that that shouldn't be difficult for somebody to find, since all yeah. we've seen is people chase money and swing swords. Yeah, and yeah. shag, I suppose. But you know, so, to his credit, he doesn't send him out looking for that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Stannis also uncovers the Karstark plot, which was a surprise. Um, so they say, "Oh, there's a you know there's a false counselor who's who's in with Bruce Bolton and sort of pouring poison into Stannis's ear." It's too good for that, Stannis. He uncovers it, lies you through Theon, also through finding these ravens that are um, sort of effectively addressed to the, addressed to Winterfell, and um, and he sort of rounds them up, the Karstarks. Sends him off. Quite interesting. Look at that. Yeah, yeah. I, I, with with breathtaking speed as well, doesn't he? He's just sort mm. of like, right, there we go. Uh, go and round him up. And I, I'll level with you. When he brought Arnold Karstark into the room, I thought, get, game over here, surely. Because we, we know that he's mm. a turncloak. You know, yeah. I thought this was going to be the big, you know, he gets stabbed and, you know, this is from Ramsay. But Arnold just sort of stands there and goes, oh, bollocks. <laughs> You killed him, Busted. haven't you? Yeah, it's, it's like the least amount of game, and I'm kind of wondering what he was planning to do when he was called into the called into a private meeting with the Lord. He knows he's about to screw. Yeah. He's like, I'll just style it out. I'll just <laughs> just just smile through it. What, my Lord? No, my Lord. No chance, my Lord. Never, my Lord. Yeah, yeah. 
this is really interesting because let's compare it to the series. So in the series, um, Stannis was killed at the end of series five. He's dead. And yeah. that sort of always puts you on the defensive. You're sort of waiting for him to die in the book then. Um, yeah. And I'm just not sure about this now because he's, he's in such a stronger... The thing is in the series, he, he burns Shireen and then he like wanders... Wanders over with what's left. Half his army deserts because they think we don't want to follow, you know, a child burner, yeah. and um, with and, good reason. Yeah, Nipples. and he ends up knackered and like just has this ragtag small force that walks up to Winterfell and basically commits suicide there. Um, in the book, he's still got most of his army. He's shored up in a. He, he seems to have some plan to make a really decent defensive position. He yeah. hasn't. He hasn't burned his daughter, which is you know, <laughs> one in the plus column. Yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's he's caught Karstark, and he's sort of and Ramsay Bolton's on his way out. And I just I just think I'd probably this at this point in the story now, I if I had to bet, I put my money on Stannis to win that fight. Absolutely, yeah. And I think also I I think that's got more heft to it. That's more dramatically interesting because to me mm. in the in the, I mean this is this is part of my problem with the tv series as we've seen is that i think it has just become like just sex and death Mm. you know like and so so that's why they're keeping ramsey around is because he's got this weird sort of hyper bdsm shit going on (laughs) and and he's um uh you know he he, he, you know it's sex and death that's you know Mm. that's what he's there for um whereas um, Stannis is not sexy and doesn't kill people very often, except when it's clearly telegraphed and exists within a proper framework of law. Mm. So he's just not as interesting. So I think they just took him out with a sideswipe so they could maximise the sex and death mm. rather than actually making it sort of interesting. I suppose what I'm complaining about, Matt, is that there's been too much sex and death on the screens and not nearly <laughs> enough realistic politics. And I, I realise in that, as I say it, I am not in their target audience. Yeah, well, I, th- I think <laughs> six series it's taken me, but that's how, that's what I've realised. Yeah, I think the problem with the series that has got at the moment is, and I've really enjoyed the first couple of the new series, is that um, they this they, they see that they're coming towards sort of the, the last couple of sort of seasons now, and they're just suddenly having to drastically trim down this cast to actually tell some deep stories of some of them so you're seeing people die every other week at the moment aren't you <laughs> yeah although i mean we will come to this i'm sure when we when we get into the bunker full of spoilers but one of the one of the the main kind of planks that a lot of people build their fan theories off of is um is that you know some things are done and said in the first episodes which are supposed to come to fruition like seven series later mm. which implies to me that if that's the case, then the makers of the series must have known that they all of these all of these storylines were going to become superfluous, hmm. and you were just going to end up wanting to kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know. I mean, I think they can get out of jail that way, but only by admitting that they've made a series with dramatically less ambition hmm. than they have allowed everybody to believe. Hmm. Now, the um, the only other thing I wanted to say about this Theon chapter was um, Theon himself. So he seems to be um, like coming round a bit in terms of he used to call himself Reek, and now he, he sort of thinks yeah. he considers his name to be Theon, which suggests I a love sort of, it. yeah a bit of a turn in the character. But at the same time, the chapter ends with Stannis basically saying, "Yeah, we're going to burn him." Yeah, um, which, yeah, which is surely a royal blood thing, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, it's a yeah, yeah, it's it's a yeah. Go on, 
burn him because we'll get some sort of some sort of upside out of that because our god really loves royal blood. Yeah, yeah. So it, I, I'm, I'm going to ask you at the end of each of these chapters, but on a scale of one to ten, how yeah. excited this did this chapter make you feel about opening the winds of winter for real? Oh, question. Um, pretty good, pretty good. Because Stannis is still alive, so that's quite interesting. You know, that mm. implies subterfuge, um, or it implies yet another timeline slip from George where he just got carried away with one timeline and then oh by the way this is what happened before he did die he did die don't worry mm. about it he did die but you know then again George has got previous in this hasn't he you know he, the Onion Knight is still alive and um, everybody believes that he's not because he, he seemed to have been presented to us as having died Yeah. Um, so do you think, so, think that's a lie then do you think this Ramsey letter was basically bollocks and he, he, hasn't, he hasn't killed him yet he's just, he's just trying to get trying to rile John up <laughs> um, well, it's undeniable that the pink letter was designed to rile John up. There is yeah. literally no way of doing that since every other word was bastard. Um, so it was, it was, I suppose, pretty dramatically clearly trolling. But um, uh, yeah, I, th- I, I don't know. I think that makes the most sense. You know, you want to sort of draw him down. You want to get rid of the get rid of your only challenger in the north. Hmm. Um, uh, and you know, we I think we've touched on that a little bit in the series as well. You know, while well, John's alive. Any mm. claim on the north is um, shaky at best. Mm. Um, Let's have a score. So, then. yeah, yeah, ooh, seven, seven out of ten. Yeah. Okay, interesting. I probably got, I probably got nine for that. I was well up ooh. for Winter Winter after that because I really like the Stannis storyline and I love the fact he's still alive and um, it's still in the balance. You know, you do feel that it could go. I still genuinely think it could go either way. That I think it might mm. just shoot off in a massive tangent and he does a lot better than expected. But anyway, yeah. Uh, Next chapter, Ariane, uh, the the Martell that isn't even in the in the series. So there's not a lot to say about her in that. Um, well, it, sorry, except to say that she 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 like represents in this book a whole kind of subtlety to the life, the you know cultural life of Dawn, which mm. they just clearly did not give two shits about <laughs> in the TV series. Yeah. Dawn is just this mad bucket full of scorpions. Is basically what it is. Like it's yeah. just, it's the land of crazy women in the TV series. <laughs> Whereas at least it's a little bit more complex in the books, isn't it? as we see, because Ariane's a character. Yeah, so Ariane's on her way to. This is one of those chapters that kind of irritates me with George Martin, where um, he sets he sets the scene and sets them off doing something, and doesn't tell you what they're doing till like four or five pages in. And I just find I just I'm just almost skim reading until I get to it, just trying to work out what the hell. Because when he does this, so so we don't know where Ariane's going until a couple of pages into the chapter, and it irritates me when it's a, in a book like this because it gets you thinking: Should I already know where she's going? Huh. So I ended up skimming back to Winter Dance with Dragons. So, yeah. so did you know where he's doing his big speech, Dorian, saying, "Right, you're going to go here and you're going to go yeah. over there." So I thought, "Oh, she must have been assigned something." No, no, he, he just yeah. hasn't told us what it is yet. Oh, for fuck's sake! <laughs> I mean, yeah, and and actually, that's that's kind of slightly irritating in any book because you, you sort of feel, "Oh, you know, I failed myself under the narrative there. You know, I need to go back and I should have mm. remembered that." And then then it turns out that you hadn't, but. Because of the way he did the feast with crows and the dance with dragons, there is a cracking chapter. Like when we get to the um, the uh, Alain chapter later mm. on, 
I was literally, I was having to flip back, not a few chapters or a few pages, a, a novel, more than a book, no more than a complete doorstepper <laughs> to work out where the hell this last character had come from and why, what was yeah. going on and what did I think about all of these other people and stuff. Because he does no contextualising at all. Like you say, he just, you know, throws you into it in medias res and lets you get on with it. Yeah, yeah. Or not, as the case may be. So it, t- so it turns out Ariane is, is going to to see John Connington. So he sent a letter over to Dawn saying, what up, I've arrived, I've got this... Targaryen, let's let's do some shit together, and um, and I'm not sure that's the that's the sort of word for word translation of it. But um, no, that, that's that's the letter <laughs> as put through Gizugul, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. So um, Dor- Doran sent Ariane over there just to just to check if it's all sort of legit and what's really going on. Um, yeah. So this is her journey to that point. Uh, they have a chat about Darkstar, the uh, the only emo knight in the Seven Kingdoms. <laughs> <laughs> I'd forgotten him. Oh, yeah. glorious, isn't it? The only the only knight with a Radiohead soundtrack. <laughs> it's, I like how she thinks about him as when you know, her failed coup attempts that went even further south when he went a bit yeah. mad and tried to kill um, Marcella. But she yeah. thinks about it like, I always knew he was trouble and that he was the weak link in our group, but oh, he was just he was just so pretty, so I had to bring him along. <laughs> just, it's such a... I mean, he's generally, I think, George is generally pretty good at presenting female characters. And this, to be sure, is, is a fairly realistic piece of, you know, bad judgment from a character of any gender. But there yeah. is just a little bit of the... In, in a, a less lazily... In a more lazily written book, You'd be a bit like, really, really, the woman isn't able to see past the strategic misstep she's making just because the boy ma- boy's really pretty and makes her heart go pitter pat. Yeah, you know? yeah, because because there has been an element of that with Daenerys, but it's felt more realistic. This she does yeah. seem Ariana does seem it, it feels a bit cheap and it doesn't and it doesn't feel very realistic. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. she, she yeah. sort of. Every single time in this chapter, a male person, a male character is presented, she thinks about sleeping with him. And I just think, <laughs> what? Really? Yeah, it is. It is a bit, isn't it? Yeah, but um, but yeah. So it's a, it's just a, it's a, she's a weird. I've never really taken to Ariana as a character when she was doing the whole sort of spoiled teenager stuff with her dad as well. When she was yeah. locked in the tower, it's just oh, you're never so really... rubbish. I hate you. I hate you. Yeah, it's always kind of fallen flat with me this character. But um, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so they're off to see John Connington. Not a lot happens, to be honest, in this chapter. They they make their way along there, and uh, she has this chat with a, a guy called Damon at the end, where she talks about what she's worried about, and um, the various. And I think tries the, to get him into bed as well. Well, yeah, and there's a and there's some sort of vague theme here, a parallel between her and um, and Quentin, and sort of how she feels about him, and what may or may not have happened with Daenerys and Viserys over the over the sea. But uh, yeah, I mean, what did you make of this chapter? And and let's do the mark out of ten thing again. All right, marks out of ten. Um, I wasn't that. I I don't think I've ever been as quite as frustrated with Ariane as you have. Um, mm. I was frustrated with the fact that I had to tune back in across, you know, remember what was going on with these various characters, you know, from such a long time ago. Um, I actually I liked this chapter. And and it was actually because it was a, a little kind of incidental detail in it about um, uh, quite close to where they are, like quite far south. Um, it says there's loads of dead bodies coming up in the water hmm. and that there's supposed to have been krakens there. And when I read that, I was like, 
fucking hell, are the White Walkers, can they swim? Or can they only swim for a certain amount of time or something? You know, have they got this far south? That's mm. pretty intense. Mm. Um, uh, so that was, that was a little bit interesting to me just because I, I, I thought I saw the way it could tie together. The other thing I liked about it was right at the end where they were having a conversation about the Targaryens and kind of... It was the first time, I think, that I've heard anybody in Westeros wonder whether Daenerys would be a good queen and mm. kind of where I've started to see how the idea of Daenerys as a queen impacts other characters and other parts of the thing. Because we're now five novels in and there's this one character who's never interacted with any of the others. Mm. Um, so I, I liked it for those two reasons. For those two reasons, it made me very excited about um, about the, the Winds of Winter. You're right, as a character pieces, you know, fair enough, whatever, fine, meh. Mm. But um, actually, in terms of excitement, that's a nine. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. What about you? What's your number? Uh, uh, three. Oh, because oh, cold. I, th- I think I think yeah. Some of the wider things, like um, the idea of the Con- John Connington stuff carrying on, and um, this yeah, building that sort of colouring in that picture of Daenerys possibly returning. Obviously, all very exciting. But the yeah. thought of reading another Ariane chapter just makes me want to sigh. And I'm thinking it might be a skim <laughs> reader that one. <laughs> oh, 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 Matt. That's that is man. That that is that is some breathtaking contempt for the chapter. Cool. Yeah, right, right, wasn't right. mad on it. Wasn't mad on it. Um, Clearly, the next one. Okay, the next one's Barristan. Uh, so there's a Barristan chapter, which apparently is actually part of um, Dance with Dragons in some editions. So it's sort of... Oh, really? Yeah, if you've got this sort of two-part Dance with Dragons, I feel like I'm back on Storm of Swords. If you've got the two-part Dance with Dragons in some countries, this is the mm. final chapter in the book, apparently. Um, Re- but, wow. Yeah. yeah. That's interesting. That's significantly less tense. But I, I, it makes a lot of sense because, it, you know, that is an almighty cliffhanger. Yeah. Um, and it, not a terribly sort of dramatic, not the kind of cliffhanger where you go, you bastards, I must... Buy everything you publish in the future to know. Yeah. You know, such is the power of your storytelling moxie. But actually, this is far more like what they just started the battle and then you're going to end the what? You're going to end the book? What? Yeah. No. Yeah, well, apparently, because there are two, obviously there are two big battles that seem to be right on the edge of happening by the end of Dance with Dragons. One is this Stannis versus the Boltons, which I think is a real top card battle by the way I think they're the, probably the two best commanders in the Seven Kingdoms Roose Bolton and uh, Stannis Baratheon um, mm. which is a, obviously quite exciting and then obviously yeah the big siege of, of Marine as well and apparently um, I've heard I think I've read from like one of the publishers they said that, th- that those chapters that were written and were originally going to be part of A Dance with Dragons but they literally couldn't find a book binder big enough because it was always such a really? doorstop already, they'd have to split it into two books, and they thought that wouldn't be that there was, the, the fans wouldn't go for it, so they uh, they had to cut it. So that's why it's not arrived yet. I'm not sure. How are you you're serious though? Because we are, we we exist in a world where you know Stephen King's The Stand has been published in a full long version, which is I think 1,500 pages or something. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like I've like uh, there's another one. There's a couple of Tom Clancy books from way back which are like over a thousand pages. Are you telling me this? This was well, actually, I, I'll take your word for it because I've I've read it on ebook. I've never held a physical copy of A Dance with Dragons, so yeah. I don't know. Is it already like one of those like you know higher than it is wide sort of books? 
Well, I'm looking across the room at mine now, and it's sitting on a shelf next to uh, my diary, um, a, a largest history book, uh, a large notebook, and the complete collected works of Edgar Allan Poe. And all of those things together aren't as thick as the dancing <laughs> <laughs> That's got to be really one, big. hasn't it? To make, to make the intemperate author just take a second and sit back down and go, George, do you think, should I be writing n- novellas? Do you think short fiction might be more my sort of metier? Yeah, yeah. So it's pretty big. So I don't know. But anyway, so... In some, so in some versions of Dance with Dragons, this may even have appeared, but we're going to do it. I assume they're going to write it into Winds of Winter. Um, yeah. Now, I couldn't find, neither of us could find the actual text online. The best we could come up with is a sort of audio-only YouTube video of some guy in America reading out the chapter for us. So um, that's the way we've actually <laughs> consumed Barristan 1 for this. Yes. Um, yes. That... That guy, Dave, as well. He, he, <laughs> th- th- I mean, whoever he is, thank, thank for, thanks to him for actually doing it because we wouldn't have any information on this otherwise. But one thing that stuck out for me, he does the sort of voices and he does Barristan's voice and he basically sounds like a grown-up Eric Cartman <laughs> try, sort of doing an impression of a, like a badass. <laughs> <laughs> so this is Eric Cartman being the dog, basically. Yeah. I'll just play a little bit in here, just 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 to make your own, you can make your own mind up. Cat, Gogor, you know our plan of attack. Your men will follow afoot. Fall back before you are surrounded. Gogor smashed a fist against his chest. Gogor, not fall back, never. And Gogor die. What do you reckon, Dave? Um, well, I, I think your description is accurate, and I, I'm, I'm not about to throw stones at somebody I've never met on the internet, um, uh, controversially, but at the same time... Um, <laughs> and Gogor die. I think voice acting may not be your forte, unless, I mean, it may be that he's read like he thinks that Sabaris and Selmy has acted in a certain way, and kind of is a little bit like Eric Cartman, but in full plate mail armour and with mm. a beard... Mm. And a complete badass. If there's something quite petulant in Barristan Selmy's character that I haven't come across yet, maybe that's an that's a legit read. Perhaps, yeah. maybe. Don't know. Well, well, look, we are very grateful for that being put up there. Um, although that did drop me a little bit out of the story when he started speaking like that. <laughs> the, <laughs> so the um, yeah, I can't deny that. That me too. Yes. So that this chapter looks at the sort of the start of the uh, siege of Marine, the actual brass tacks battle. They're catapulting these corpses, the, the sort of Yunkai are catapulting these corpses over the uh, the walls, basically to uh, spread the plague. Um, Nasty. But there are also all the, the sort of Daenerys, the marine armies are, are congregating in the market square, all forming up, getting ready to go. Uh, the Red Lamb is there with Barristan. And he actually gets <laughs> hey! a line, the first yes! Nazarene line of the entire series. Please tell me it's, it's, it's like it should be done in a squeaky voice. You know what I mean? Like I, I think this is a missed opportunity on on, on the part of our uh, our our brave voice actor, um, not not to either do like to make him a complete like Arnold Schwarzenegger badass, or just give him a really silly squeaky voice, just sort of like I'm the land man of the land, I'm the red land. 
I think, I think That's he, me. I think he came down somewhere in between. Listen to this if you will, but I'm not sure in any way <laughs> this could be described as an Arnold Schwarzenegger type voice. I will go before the great shepherd of Lazar, break his crook across my knee, and say to him, Why did you make your people lambs when the world is full of wolves? <laughs> <laughs> I agree. I agree with that. Yes, that that is a fair statement. <laughs> yeah, so this is basically Barristan going over the plan of attack, um, making a bit of a speech to people saying, you know, the people that gathered there saying, I know you're all literally, some of you shitting yourselves, but this is normal. <laughs> um, and then sort of the battle, the battle begins. I, I love that speech of Barristan's because yeah. um, it really got you into the mind of like the average sort of, Joe just sort of standing there in his, you know, homemade breastplate and spear thinking, oh God, I've never done anything like this. Am I going to survive? Am I going to turn out to be absolutely cowardly and afraid? Uh, (laughs) Yeah. It's just just everything that you would have going through your mind if this was going to be your first sort of vicious, visceral medieval battle. Yeah, yeah. Very, very true. Very, very true. And you, you love Barristan in that role as well, don't you? It's sort of what you've been waiting to see him do. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, that I mean, that's all I've got to say about this chapter. Have you got any um, any other thoughts? And do you want to give it a, a sort of a, again a, a mark out of ten? Um, I would say because it's not the complete. It's still not the complete battle, is it? It's very much like build up and shit. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, um, I'm looking forward to the chapter. I'm looking forward to the battle. So like eight. But on the other hand, why have you made me wait this long? Two. So. Uh, six. There we go. That was <laughs> yeah. What do you What do you think? What What was What was your feeling on it? Um, it's funny because in terms of the long term story, Marine still feels a little irrelevant, doesn't it? In terms of what's happening it in does, Westeros, doesn't it? It just feels like he backed himself into the world. Is it was mm. as if he decided to drive this enormous sort of juggernaut articulated lorry through a very 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 small suburb. And then got it stuck in a in a cul-de-sac, and now he's just had to back himself out of it in like a ninety-seven thousand point turn. That's kind of yeah. how it feels to me. Yeah, but at the same time, that I'm I cannot wait to read this this massive battle that the see that actual battle of Marine. As long as he writes it, and we don't just cut away. But um, yeah, so I'm really up for that. So I would probably give it a, an eight, maybe even a Ooh. nine, just for how excited I'm about that. Um, nice. So, you know what? He's another example as well, isn't he? Barristan of a guy. He's dead in the series, and he's still here yeah. in the books. And I'm wondering if um, the fact that these characters, Barristan and Stannis, are dead in the series, are giving me a great appreciation for them in the books because they're still alive. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but yeah, I'm yeah, really that, that, about that. that is true. So, so Barristan basically gets like as well because he's a great character, and because we have since day one on this podcast had an, an enormous weakness for the badass grandpa as a oh, literary yeah. figure. Yeah. Um, going all the way back to the old man in the sea, but um, he, he does get a massive pass as well, just because he's still alive and we quite like him, and he's, he <laughs> somehow isn't dead. It's like, yeah, go on, Barristan, son, go on, yes. It's like the sort of the hundred to one shot horse that's still going, isn't it? It is. It's like watching, <laughs> watching Leicester City win the league, isn't it? Is what it is. He's watching them run in and you're just going, go on, go on, Barristan. Do it for the dreamers. Do it for the dreamers. <laughs> so, yeah, so that, that's the Barristan chapter. Um, on to, um, we get a chapter about Tyrion. 
Uh, and this is this is um, pretty much the same event from the other side, isn't it? So Tyrion's in um, the camp of the Second Sons as they're preparing for battle as well. Uh, so everyone's sort of getting ready. In fact, I think in this chapter, it, it's almost runs sort of after the Barristan one. It's not sort of in parallel, is it? Because Barristan no. and uh, and the armies are now attacking, and it's just yeah. the fact that the fighting hasn't reached the Second Sons yet. Yeah. Um, so this is this is really interesting, and the it turns out the windblown who we always knew were going to turn the cloaks after they'd made this deal with Barristan in Dance with Dragons, they go over to the other side, and that seems to be the sort of the moment that Brian Ben Plum, Plum decides he's going to flip again as well, and does this <laughs> brilliant sort of he basically says, "Oh, it was a ruse all along, and I was always loyal," like, as if it was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you've this. I mean, so Brown Ben Plum obviously is a, a weaselly, horrible, dissembling, you know, albeit twinkly-eyed bastard, basically. Yeah. But you do have to kind of love the <laughs> chops on somebody who will turn an entire army on a sixpence, <laughs> and just when it starts to go the wrong way, go, yeah, always loyal us. Yeah, no worries. No, what you thought we were, you never fell for that, did you? <laughs> Gosh, Lordy, we're even better than I thought we were. Anyway, yeah, we're definitely with the Queen. Moving on very quickly, never questioning it, looking back or talking about it, referring to it in any sense ever again. Yeah, yeah. The thing, the thing that he's he's uh, hasn't thought about here, I think, Brown Ben, is that almost always with a double agent. Okay, yeah, that happens, but the the person who sort of you're still loyal to is still aware that you're still <laughs> that you're still loyal, and the fact that Daenerys is obviously. Uh, in, under no illusions about his loyalty when she left, I yeah. just don't think this is going to wash when uh, when the dust settles on this battle. But we'll see. Truth. Uh, the other thing is, um, before this battle, Penny's getting ready to fight as well, and she kisses Tyrion, and he's he gets so angry, nearly punches her. In fact, it says I think if he could find a weapon, he'd have tried to kill her. Um, hell. Which I think is just a. Tyrion's gone to some pretty dark places in Dance with Dragons, hasn't he? And I think in many yeah. respects he's still there, which is quite hard to um, marry with the series because with the series he's been through some a lot of stuff, obviously, but he yeah. still seems a very decent like guy overall. Yeah. And I think in the books he it's a bit more complicated, isn't it? There is still some sense he's still likable, just about, but he's he's gone a lot further, sort of down the dark track than than series Tyrion has. Yeah, very, very much. And I I still can't decide whether this is a question of sort of interesting nuance or if it's more, you know, interesting nuance in a fundamentally good character because I could kind of see how we get to this place where, like, because Penny has had this, like, um, uh, uncritically naive and self-endangering approach since she ever since she appeared in the book. You know, like she, she kind of had this, this romantic notion of trying to kill Tyrion, and then this romantic notion of trying to shag him, and then this romantic notion of a lord will look after me, and then this romantic notion of you're going to battle, so I'm going to kiss you. And I think I, I could definitely see how it would infuriate Tyrion. I'm not saying that it's appropriate that he acted that way, but I can definitely see how, like, emotionally, he would be like. You know, how dare you continue to live as though naivety is an option? I've had that taken mm. away from me so many times, so consistently. I have had, I have been robbed of my ability to hope, basically. Mm. And that's essentially what Penny is doing. She keeps going back and acting as though things are going to turn out in a way 
that she expects or that she's been given this kind of narrative that's going to make sense of the world and she he like i think i think Tyrion gets really angry about such narratives i think he's a very instinctive kind of nihilist about this mm. sort of thing you know yeah. um the only thing there is to do is stay alive yeah. So, um, so I can understand why he gets that frustrated, but I, I but I quite like it because that means that the fact that he responds so passionately means that he's not actually completely given over to this hopelessness. You know, he is like, you know, you need to be more realistic than this, but he still cares. Um, mm. And I think so. That's actually an interesting little character moment for me. I mean, you know, that's quite a fine, you know, set of distinctions, and it could just be that he is exactly as fucked up as he looks. And he's mm. just attacking anybody for any reason now. But, you know, to turn him into a mad dog would be a far more, you know, if I can use this distinction, it would be a far more TV series thing to do than it would be a book thing to do, I think. Mm. Yeah. So what did you make of this one in terms of how excited it made you for When's the Um I, I have a problem with the whole Marine storyline in that um, it's really difficult <laughs> to care um, mm. Because my assumption has been that it's all about getting Daenerys out of there, and it's all about giving her experience of being a queen and all of this sort of thing, right? Yeah. Um, so, um, it's while this is still happening, I don't have an image of the, the you know the situation it's happening in, and all the people I care about, I'd like to see them get out of there. But George has just fairly clearly indicated that the only way somebody's going to get out of there is if a magic deus ex machina dragon appears in the sky and mm. comes and pluck, plucks them out and that's not going to happen twice so I'm a bit in this case I'm a bit like I assume Tyrion's going to survive because he's the only character that's been everywhere mm. Barristan's toast and so it, it, <laughs> it he's been toast for a while though hasn't he's, he, he's, he exactly, exactly exactly as much as I love that let's be honest he's going to die horribly <laughs> and probably in this battle um and so at that point, I'm like, well, you know. So actually, in terms of how excited it made me for the book, three, four. Mm. How about you? Yeah, I'll probably put it as sort of a, just for the strength of Tyrion's character, as sort of a six or a seven. But I do agree that Marine needs to wrap up fairly soon, doesn't it? And we need to sort of get into the, the real stuff over in, over in Westeros. That, that's something you mentioned, actually, though. It is worth making a point of two of the dragons appear to have actually joined this battle. They're just running amok. Um, and no one really knows which way they're going to actually fight, or if they even know who they're fighting for. Um, so that's quite that's going to be quite interesting to read more of as well. I, I can't, to be honest, a, a chapter that sets out sort of the start of a massive pitched battle, which also involves dragons and a few main characters. I can't possibly give it less than a seven. It's got to be a, 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 a you know, a very exciting um, little taster of what's to come. Anyway, but we'll see. Yeah. Okay. All right. Cool. Um, okay, next up is a, a chapter, of, it turns out, about Arya, uh, who gets another name, um, the, the name of Mercy. Oh, hell. we go to some dark places here, don't we? <laughs> you are <laughs> not kidding. You're, the darkest of which, Matt, is my, my, my continuing deepening despair about what on earth is going to happen with this character and why she got 9,000 different names. <laughs> yeah, so this time she appears to have taken the, uh, the, the sort of place of a mummer. Um, basically, an actress or an actor at the uh, in Bravos. She's about to do a scene. Um, there's this weird play going on, which I think is supposed to be a sort of a, a parody of what's happened in Westeros. I think she's oh, supposed definitely. to be, she's supposed to be playing Sansa, and there's this dwarf who's supposed to be playing Tyrion, and there's this yeah. sort of fake uh, rape scene that's that she's going yeah. to act out. Um, 
But she gets interrupted from this by uh, when she spots, I think it's Sir Harris Swift, the uh, the guy who's now Master of Coin. He's come over to Bra- to uh, Bravos to speak to the Iron oh, Bank. Oh, that's who he was. Yeah. I was. This, see, this is why I love the fact that you 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 can be relied upon to find this stuff and know it far better than me. Because I was just like, oh, I'm not supposed to remember who has a chicken on his chest, am I? <laughs> Surely not. <laughs> Yeah, it just reminds me of the guy who uh, kept going about how he fought a guy with a red chicken on his <laughs> But um, yeah, so he's there and a couple of his guards are Lannister guardsmen, obviously. And one of them turns out to be this guy, Raph the Sweetling, who is one of the people on Arya's list, you know, list of guys to kill. Uh, he's the guy who, um, when that little kid Lommy couldn't walk, he sort of laughed and stabbed him in the in the neck and killed him. Um, so Aya basically seduces Raph the Sweetling, drags him off to like a, a room and then stabs, like basically opens his female artery in his leg and lets him, lets him bleed to death. And as he's lying on the floor, he says, you gotta, you gotta carry me, which is sort of the line that Lomi said, which is basically the, it feels like Aya's engineered this whole thing. So he'll say that. And then she yeah. finishes him off. I mean, it's pretty yeah. badass from her point of view, putting to one side the fact that this is still a kid and she's actually just seduced some dude. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know, what did you make overall? Pretty dark. Pretty dark. Yeah. My world. Uh, I, so, um, I, I will say, so it was pretty dark, but I actually thought this was really well written. I really enjoyed this as a single scene. Because mm. most, and I, I think that's because this was one of the, the earliest chapters released from the book. So it, I think it was kind of written more in a more self-contained way it felt like really really good short fiction like a really mm. fantastic kind of two three thousand word short story mm. um and it was great because you've got the you know you set the scene really atmospherically you know this kind of big old playhouse that's kind of settling into the sea great scenes you know big um company of players and she's a stage manager all of a sudden you know as if mm. that's an easy thing to learn um but um I, I actually really, really liked it. And then he, and then right at the end, it's got the reveal, you know, that it's Arya. I mean, you kind of know that it's Arya. But, you know, um, you know, you, only then is it Arya. And it's all, like, totally kind of plotted and she gets what she wants. And mm. it's such a perfect taster for the book. Yeah. Such a great little thing. So, actually, in terms of... <laughs> I mean, I think it was actually... I think the reason I, I was so impressed with it, I would give it a 9 or a 10. Mm. Um, but because it's got a certain narrative discipline which I think the books have sorely lacked for the last like <laughs> 60 chapters so uh, so yeah I mean but if the rest of the Winds of Winter is this sort of tightly plotted and well put together and, and great fantastic stuff yeah, yeah properly 9 or 10 how about you yeah it was, it's very it, it's I think of all the chapters, this might be the most sort of purely Game of Thrones feeling chapter as well because it's got that. Yeah. I think it's tightly plotted. It's got a really sort of dramatic uh, strand run all the way through it, um, and it's also got that kind of uncomfortable reading it because it's sort of going places where just books normally don't don't go. Um, you know, putting someone like who's still basically a child in this vulnerable position, and yeah. you, part of what makes Game of Thrones and Song of Ice and Fire so um, interesting is that you really do feel there's no there's no limit on what could or couldn't happen. So your fear for characters like Arya are so much greater 
because you don't yeah. have that normal sort of safety wheels feeling with most books where you think, oh, well, you know, the author wouldn't go that far, though. So, you know, we know it's not going to yeah. get that bad. You just don't yeah. know what's going to happen with this kind of stuff. So I was, yeah. I really enjoyed the chapter, just just how tense and sort of, um, I don't know, almost cringing I was feeling, just waiting for some kind of blow and really hoping it didn't happen. And the fact that it didn't was quite good as well because it just made me feel a lot better about reading it. But um, I like that feeling of um, of uncertainty and of genuine sort of danger um, that Martin often yeah. can manage to put across. So yeah, I'd go quite high with this as well. I'd probably give it an eight. So yeah, looking forward to that. And that's that's some feat really because a lot of the Aya stuff has been really quite dull, hasn't it? In the Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons. Yeah, absolutely. It really has, sadly, but that's completely mm. true. Uh, the final one we've got, which we can look as our as our preview, is Elaine. So it's a Sansa chapter. Yeah. And this is the one you've mentioned earlier today where you said, um, <laughs> yeah, it's just this collection of characters that you can barely remember all coming together and you can barely even remember what Elaine's supposed to be up to or where she is. I was the same as you. I was started by scrambling and trying to work out where the hell she is. I think it's harder if you're watching the series as well because this is one of those sort of stories that has just diverged so much it's almost unrecognisable. Sansa has been through basically a series and a half worth of plots that just never happens in the book. So it's almost, yeah. it's, it is, feels like almost two different stories now, this, doesn't it? It very much does. And it, it kind of saddens me. Like, I understand why they did it in the TV series. You've got to tie it up. You know, Gene Paul's not an interesting and important character, you know, so hmm. put Sansa in that place and it all gets a lot more dramatic. But, I mean, it's so far off off course now and the one thing I like about this is that she's you see her deep and properly as a character hmm. um, to me in the TV series she's continued to be petulant and stupid hmm. even though terrible things have happened to her her, resp- her, her, her you know whenever she takes actions for herself they hmm. have been no less immature than they were right at the beginning um, so you know it's I, I I far prefer the book version because here you're kind of seeing her grow into the kind of lady of the castle kind of role. Yeah, yeah, um, which I liked a lot. Yeah, and you got that you get that from the fact this this whole tournament's being held basically. It's basically her idea to get yeah. all these uh, these like these fighters together, and they're all battling it out to become part of what's effectively a king's guard for Sweet Robin. Um, he wants they're getting him a personal guard. He's having eight. Uh, nights because he wants one more than the king, which I think is really like quite dangerous because it's it could easily be read as like two fingers two fingers up at the king that say oh well I've got eight yeah. you've only got seven, um, yeah. so he got he's, he's getting his eight nights winged nights, and uh, yes it was all sort of an idea cooked up by Sansa. So on the one hand it's great to see her sort of developing that side of her, but also I really enjoyed just reading about her as. Like with this Miranda character, just sort of gossiping and and laughing and sort of picking out different knights and stuff, and basically doing what she always kind of wanted to do when she went to King's Landing, but yeah. was never able to do. It feels like this part of um, like the Vale is kind of what she imagined King's Landing would be like, and it's nice to yeah. get her to for her just to be able to act like a teenage girl for a bit as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's quite good. It, it is. It is very interesting, isn't it? But it's. It there's 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 a lot of knives under the surface, isn't mm, there? Yeah. Um. Here, a lot of knives under the eider down, where it's like this. You know, the, there's this Miranda character who's 
breathtakingly cold in her previous chapters and is just her friend here. Mm. And even Littlefinger comes off as... Um, he does come off as somebody who seems to be looking out for her good, um, which we know to be untrue because this is fucking Littlefinger. You know? like, <laughs> never forget, Matt. Never forget yeah. um, that he's an untrustworthy bastard. So, um, so this to me is very intriguing. It really sort of sets me up, yeah. um, sets me up for the book, and I do hope we get more of this this storyline. Even though it obliges me to spend more time in the company, fictional, thank God, of. <laughs> Robin flipping Aaron. <laughs> God, yeah. tiresome. Oh, yeah. oh. How about, so, wait, what, do you, what, what, what was your thought? Yeah, yeah, I agree. The, something that I found in, quite interesting about it and was uh, the tone of the last few pages as well, which is completely something we've not really seen from uh, at any point in the series so far. It all almost goes a bit Pride and Prejudice, where like, there's, there's, this, there's this haughty... <laughs> Uh, Harry the Air bloke who doesn't like um, who doesn't like uh, Sansa and Sansa basically like Lizzie Bennet's him into liking her. She's sort of like prickly with him and um, yeah. quite bright and funny and it just felt re- it felt like I'd just dropped back into as we did we did a series on Pride and Prejudice but it felt very Pride and Prejudice that. <laughs> That's really interesting because in Pride and Prejudice I never thought I was going to turn over the page and find them shagging, whereas. In a, a Song of Ice and Fire, there's a far more sexual undercurrent here, isn't there? Like, it, Pride and Prejudice, both because of when it was written and who it was written for. Yeah. You, you know, you know, sex, sex is going to happen. Sex is on the table figuratively, but probably within the bounds of marriage and in a bed, and we're never going to read about it. Mm. Um, whereas in this, sex is on the table probably quite literally and at the drop of a hat. So it was it was slightly more charged in this scene, I think. Yeah, yeah. But I, I, I did definitely get that feeling, though, that it was sort of this guy going in thinking that, oh, it's just another, like, oh, God, I don't like women, and this is another annoying woman, buddy, buddy, buddy. And, oh, yeah. hang on a minute. She's charming and funny and clever yeah. and takes a piss out of me a bit. And, you know, it just felt like it was a massive parallel between the two there, which is... It's the last thing I would have expected to find in a George Martin book, which was quite good. I like being surprised as well. Um, and when you're sort of five or six books into a series, it's very hard to do that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, very, very much. Yeah. So I thought overall this was good. I'm still, I still don't like Sansa very much, but this actually felt she felt quite likable in this chapter. So is this a reset? Has she mm. leveled up? Is this an interesting thing? <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt like she had leveled up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, but let's hope she doesn't go back to it, eh? Because she's still she's shown herself consistently able to do one minor wise thing followed by fifty-seven <laughs> thunderously poorly advised things. <laughs> okay, so it's time to give it your mark then for that one out of ten. How excited are you about reading more about Sansa? This is this is an eight actually, but on, based mm. on this chapter, this is an eight. Based on this chapter, on the top of the towering mound of reasons Sansa Stark makes infuriating plot decisions, <laughs> it's a two. But it's not this chapter's fault that Sansa to this point has been a very very immature, very uninteresting character. So no, this is an eight by itself. It's an eight. Excellent. Well, that rounds off our um, our six chapter sort of preview of uh, what we're what we're looking for in the Winds of Winter. So. Next week, what we're going to do is we'll do a sort of a, a quick roundup of sort of story so far in the series. Um, so I think by then there'll be three, yeah, there'll be three um, episodes of Game of Thrones series six out. So we'll take a quick look at those 
um, from a sort of book reader's perspective, what it tells us about what we could expect for uh, for Dance with Dragons, um, not Dance with Dragons for Winds of Winter, and uh, after that, we'll um, we're going to sort of we'll keep tabs on the show week to week, but also we're going to use the podcast to talk about a few different theories. And if you want to send in some of your own, that'd be really helpful as well, or just suggestions for for me to research and talk and sort of bring to the podcast. Dave's basically going to be there to give his sort of I'll put a theory to him and then Dave you give your sort of opinion around it and we'll have a bit of a chat that way um, I think next week the obvious one for us to do is the really big theory which is um, known as R plus L equals J so we'll do that because yeah. of some of the things that have happened in the series in those first three episodes make sense for us to talk about that but after yeah. that sort of it's going to be a bit no holds barred um I mean, I'll give you a few, should I give you a few sort of headlines of things that we're going to talk about, but no more. Um, or well, is that too much? I, yeah, you know what? If we're gonna, I'm beginning to think that you're getting money somehow from preventing me from going on a wiki of ice and fire. Because um, so I'm staying away from these theories for another couple of months. <laughs> you total bastard. Um, so given that, let's uh, let's just go in some fresh. I'm just going to carry on doing what I've done to this point. I'll stay away from them. Um, cool. Okay. And, um, and then you can get my responses. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe at the start of the next cast, just give me the headlines. The headlines yeah. for tonight, Dave. We're going to do this, and then yeah. I'll, uh, I'll see what I can do. Yeah, I may in even terms do- of spluttering rage. If it's anything <laughs> like Varys is a mermaid or right. Roose Bolton is a vampire, you can have plenty of plenty of fodder. I'll tell you. You know what? We might return to those because those are two of my favourite ones that we've just touched on in the past. Varys is a mermaid. Roose Bolton you, is a vampire. Can you get some sort of? Some evidence that whoever wrote those two things on, I'm sure, a Reddit board at three in the morning weren't just, like, stoned off their tits and just writing down words that occurred to them in in the area of A Song of Ice and Fire. Because if there's any actual, like, plot basis for that, that's fucking magnificent. I just don't believe it. (laughs) Well, so so that's... Anyway, that's going to be the the general format for the next few weeks, then. So it's going to be kind of a spoilery... um, look at the the series uh, from a book perspective and uh, we'll be discussing a few theories around it as well obviously there's not much we really can spoil now we've gone up we've gone up as far as the books go and it's been very clear that just because something happens in the series doesn't necessarily mean it's at all relevant to what happens in the book but um, I think it'll be nice to at least accept the fact there's another alternative universe of this out there and just speculate as to how that might affect what happens in our story which is the books yeah yeah. Yeah. So as I say, if you've got your own theories for us, sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. That's sharkliveroyalpodcast at gmail.com. And you can also get us on Twitter at sharkliveroyal. And don't forget, as I said before, uh, we've got the actual website running now. If you want a, a more easy to use look at, sort of scroll through all our archives, all our books that we've done in the past, you can you can find that at sharkliveroyal.co. And, uh, and we'll be on there. Easy as that. Easy as that. Oh, well, until next time. Until next time, man. Bye. Bye, my, my.